get into the word of the Lord tonight. It's good to see everybody here. Good to have our guests with us tonight. Before we get into the gospel of Mark, I just want to talk to you just a little bit about praying for Israel right now. It is very, very crucial that we pray for the nation of Israel. They are literally being removed out of the Gaza by their own people, by military troops of Israel. And I'm sure you've heard that on the news. But anytime they start giving up their land and are literally kicked out of their land, and that is Judah's inheritance, so that belongs to them. And when the Palestinians take over that land, whether it be in the West Bank or the Gaza Strip or some other group in the Golan Heights, that is an indication that we are very close to the end times, very close to what the book of Revelation talks about. So we really need to pray for the nation of Israel right now because what they are doing is they are giving up land for so-called peace. And what ultimately will happen is they will have to depend on an outside source to protect them, which means the United Nations and Antichrist eventually. So they are setting themselves up for the fulfillment of prophecy. I'm not preaching that tonight, but you can read Isaiah 28, 14 through 18. You can read uh, Psalm 83. And the very nations that are going to be in the end times are involved right now with the nation of Israel. So we are definitely moving towards the end of events the Bible prophesied. So let's pray for the nation of Israel right now as a church. How would you like to be cast out of your home? Lord Jesus, we as a church right now, we lift up the nation of Israel. We ask, mighty God, your divine protection on them and all the settlers that have been kicked out of the Gaza. We ask, Father, be with each and every one of them, Father. We pray for the nation of Israel, for their protection, for their conversion to you, Lord Jesus. Dear Lord, we know we're in the last days. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. You are seeing prophecy fulfilled right before your very eyes. It is exciting to be living in this time if you know the Lord. Amen. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark, please. In Mark chapter 6. And then Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Mark chapter 6, you'll remember last week the Lord feeding the 5,000. Going out into the desert or the wilderness. There to find some rest. And all the people chased him down basically. And there he taught them the kingdom of God according to Matthew's gospel in the area of Bethsaida. And then after that, the Lord sent his disciples into a ship across from Bethsaida across the Galilee. And they ended up in, in Gennesaret, the Gennesaret. And I'll tell you where that is in just a moment. There's a lot of significance in what is happening in these chapters. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 23 is probably one of the most important scripture readings in all of Mark. And it's the one that we like to read real quickly over and jump onto something that we think is more action-packed. But it is very important for us to understand it. But having said that, let's look in Mark chapter 6. The Bible says, of course, this is after he comes walking on the water. 
telling them it is I, Peter crying out, of course, to be saved as he tried to walk on the water also. Verse 51, he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. His own apostles. <clears throat> they didn't really understand what the point of it was. So the Lord put them in a ship to send them across the sea, and they got into a storm, and they were tortured trying to save themselves, so to speak, to get to the other side, and Jesus comes walking on the water to them. They miss the significance of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They also miss the, the understanding of the miracle of walking on the water. When they had passed over, they came into the land of the Gennesaret and drew to shore. Now, this is with Jesus in the boat now. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment or the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Yes. Remember we talked about the prayer shawl, the talit. It's not the garment down here like we think. It's the tassels, the tzitzit, the tassels on the prayer shawl that they were reaching up to grab. Now what you need to understand is that the, the prayer shawl, the talit, had no healing power in it. These people didn't get healed because they grabbed a hold of a physical tassel on a physical prayer shawl. What healed them was their faith in Him. What they were saying when they grabbed a hold of the tassel was they were confessing, I believe that you are the Messiah. And that's what brought their healing, not touching a piece of garment. It was the Lord that did the healing for them. So there's significance in the fact that they're saying, I believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the Lord from heaven. You understand? In chapter 7, the Bible says, after these miracles are taking place, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. So, firsthand, we see people who believe in him gathering to him. Now we see another gathering, and that is his adversaries. Okay? We see on one hand, in a, in a sense, the Shulamite grabbing a hold of the shepherd. And then next, isn't it amazing? The next thing we see after the Shulamites grabbing hold of him, then we see, and we're talking about symbolically here, by the gathering of the believers, then we see the adversaries or the daughters of Jerusalem who reject this shepherd lover and are trying to seduce this woman into the harem of Solomon, which is a type of the man of the world, a religious system. Okay? The man of the world and the harem represents the religious system. So it's very interesting to me that this flows out like it does. Now, the Bible says these Pharisees and certain scribes which came from Jerusalem. Now, where am I getting that? I didn't read that. What I'm trying to show you here is this. This is revelation. Amen. And you'll understand what I'm talking about because everything that's happening in these Gospels are really an exposition or a teaching about the Old Testament. Everything. 
Do you understand? It's rooted in the Old Testament. Now the Bible says, so he's got these scribes and Pharisees that come from Jerusalem. When they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault or they criticized that. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft and eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. What he's saying is they don't eat till they wash their hands by the tradition of the elders. They saw the disciples, the apostles, not washing their hands. Verse 4, And when they come from the market, except they wash or get baptized, literally immersed after they've come out of the marketplace, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Okay, you with me here? So they're concerned about defilement by, because of touching unclean things. Right? Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own traditions. Are you reading with me? Verse 10. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Okay? It's a tradition they, they did. Now I'll explain that to you. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. Read along with me. Bible's open. Everybody. You're fixing to make me get beside myself here. This is the Holy Word of God I'm reading here. Making the Word of God of non-effect. You with me here? Through your traditions. Which you have delivered and many such like things do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me every one of you and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entereth into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. You got ears to hear tonight? You come with your ears on? And when he was entered into the, into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. 
It even shocked them what Jesus just said. And he saith unto them, Are you so, are ye so without understanding also? See, they don't even understand. Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly, and goeth out into the draught, or the, you know, the latrine, the sewer, purging all meats. So it's not the meat that defiles you. Come on. It is what's in the heart. Verse 20, he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, or the soul, we're talking about the soul here, the mind and the will of man, the soul, proceed. Now this is what is in the soul of man or the heart of man. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Now I'm going to explain all of those. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. One of the most important things I'll ever preach to you is in this text tonight. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your awesome word tonight. I give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated tonight in the name of the Lord. This incident is the major incident for the leadership of Israel rejecting the Lord. The major incident that caused him to be rejected. Okay? So the last chapter we saw him go over to Beth Bethsaida. And I'm going to show you on a map where that is. And I know I've already got on real good feet with you, but... I don't really care. Now watch. They went over to Bethsaida here. Now, you remember Capernaum over here, etc. Bethsaida, they crossed over on this Sea of Galilee over to Bethsaida to find that to a place to rest. And that's when all that crowd gathered to him and he fed them the five, the five loaves, two fishes, 5,000 at Bethsaida. Now after that event, then he puts the disciples on the boat. And he sends them across the Sea of Galilee. And they end back up from here. They go over to the plain of the Gennesaret. All right, all right. This is on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. Okay. Over here, remember we talked about the Decapolis in, in Mark chapter 5. Those ten cities where that demoniac was. Here's the Decapolis over here. Alright. So he is... At this point, he's in the Gennesaret. He's on the western side of the Sea of Galilee and the River Jordan. Okay, you with me here? So the Gennesaret is not the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis in modern day terminology is the Golan Heights. Or the Golan Heights is located in the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Very important. Because from the Golan Heights, they can see missiles hundreds of miles away. And they can detect them from that place. So they need that place to be a defense for them. But that's where the Golan Heights is located, in the Decapolis. But you understand, he's over here in the Gennesaret. Now, in the end of chapter 7, he's going to go back over to the Decapolis, where that demoniac was healed. And there's going to be a huge following 
as a result of that man's witness. And he puts me under conviction. One man turned that Decapolis upside down for the Lord. An awesome soul winner. Okay? So you understand where we're at now. He left Bethsaida. The, the ship came over. He walked on the water in this area right here in the midst of the sea. They came over into the, uh, the western side, northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. All right. You with me here? Now, <clears throat> this is a picture of the Gennesaret right here. What I just showed you on the map, the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that beautiful? And this is what is believed to be the Garden of God right here. I think when I taught before, I was the Decapolis area over there, I made reference that that was the Garden of God. But this is what the rabbis thought was the Garden of God. was this area here. Okay. So do you understand in your mind sort of where events are taking place here? Now the Decapolis or the, the Gadarenes is the same thing as Gilead. All right? He will eventually get back over there. Just so you'll kind of get an idea geographically where we are. Now, when Jesus, there in the wilderness, feeds the 5,000 plus with five loaves and two fishes. What he's trying to get them to understand is that he's the true manna that came down from heaven, came down from God. That he is the one that is going to, going to produce eternal life. Okay, so that he is the bread, he is the bread of life. He is. But the disciples still don't understand that. That the bread he's distributing is really dis distribution of himself to them. Okay, when he walks on the sea, what he's saying is, I have power over death. I'm going to die as the bread of life, and I will rise again from the dead. What he's trying to do is prepare his disciples for his death, burial, and resurrection. And they're not getting it. They don't understand. Okay? Now, when he <coughs> walks on the water, what they should immediately think is this. This is God. And... Uh, Think about the Old Testament scriptures how that God went before the nation of Israel as their shepherd and walked through the water, made a path in the sea, but his footprints were not seen. You with me? So the, the God who brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and fed them manna in the wilderness... The God that caused the Red Sea to split and made a pathway with his feet, but his footprints were invisible. Is the same God, okay, that has just met with them in the wilderness and given them living bread, the bread of life. And is the same God that brought them out, out in Egypt. He, Jesus is God. He is the bread of life in the wilderness. And this Jesus that's walking on the water is God Himself. And the disciples are His sheep that He's leading into the kingdom because He is God and He is walking on the water but the footprints are not seen in the sea. 
So what he's trying to get them to understand is that he is God. The God of the Old Testament. The God who delivered Israel out of Egypt. The God who fed them in the wilderness manna. The God who split the Red Sea and walked before them and made a way where there was no way. That very God is the one that is walking among them in the earth realm. And he's doing the very same thing that God did in the Old Testament so that they cannot miss. So these Gospels are nothing more than a continuation, if you will, or an exposition of everything that happened in the Old Testament. And he is trying to get them to see. He's the Passover lamb. He's the manna from heaven. He's God who split the Red Sea. He's God who's going to take him into the promised land. He is that very same God. He is not a second person of anything. He is God come in the flesh. And when, he, when he's walking on the water and they call to him. He makes a very interesting statement. He said, it is I. What he is saying is this, I am. I am the God who met Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. Eye asher eye. I am that I am. I am the same God that met Moses in the wilderness. It is I. I am he. You get this? And so when they, when he said, it is I, what he's trying to show them, he is the same God. And whenever they called him Lord, the Bible says that there is only one Lord. And there is no Lord except He be God. So when they called Him Lord, they should have understood that to call Him Lord meant that He was God. That He's not just an anointed man. He is God come in flesh. But because they were blind in their eyes, Israel was blind in the Old Testament. What did Israel do after all these miracles of God? and redemption salvation by the blood and feeding them the bread and taking them through the Red Sea what did they do they went to tradition and they lost sight of God they got into outward forming and lost the reality of life in them they got into the outward ritualistic traditional things but they lost the reality of the life of God in their midst so that's the very thing Jesus is saying here the same thing that happened to Israel in the Old Testament is exactly what has happened to them now. They have moved into a place where they're caught up in their traditions. They're caught up in their religion. But their tradition and their religion has separated them from their God. That's the significance of this passage here. Give God some praise. Now some of you, that doesn't mean a lot to you. But to me that is profound. Because it opens the Word of God to me like never before. Now watch this. The next step is as Israel did in the Old Testament. They lost sight of God. And they were going through the ritual. And they were bringing sacrifices. And God got to a point. He said, I don't want them anymore. Although he commanded them to bring a sacrifice. There was a time when he says, don't bring me any more sacrifice. Because all it is is empty ritual. 
an empty religion. It's outward, but there's nothing going on on the inside. And he said, away with it. And that's exactly what happens in this chapter here. All right. Hallelujah. Now, if you go back and look in the gospel of Matthew, and you start reading chapter 14, and then go to 15, go to 16, that, that chapter shows you, chapter 16, the Lord teaches them what he's trying to get them to understand, is that he is God. He looks at Peter and he says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are God come in the flesh. He had a revelation. And then in that same chapter, Jesus explains to them that he's going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And it's in connection with the feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness, the walking on the water. Come on. And the traditions of the elders. And then he follows it up. But I explain, hey, who am I? See, when he came, they were so... Boy, I'll tell you what, I got a spirit on me. Let me just put it this way. They were so cotton-picking blind with religion. When he walked in their midst, they had no idea who in the world he was. Come on. So messed up and so confused by tradition after tradition and religion after religion that when Jesus walked into their midst they didn't even know who he was and even his disciples he's got to get the blinders off their eyes and got to open their ears because they don't even know what's going on because the one thing that caused Israel to stumble was this that the Messiah who would come would suffer and die that was that caused them to stumble and that's exactly where this one's going. Do you understand? So let's look at this chapter in the light of this traditions that blinded them. Now, we got people who are gathering to the Lord. But some of you may not know this, but Jesus had great adversaries. Great opposition. Great obstacles. You know why? Because he wasn't a wimp. He wasn't no limp-wristed pacifist. He was the mighty God of Jacob. And if you came out here tonight to hear some limp-wristed preacher, you came to the wrong place. People hated him because of the truth that he spoke and the power that he had. And religious people always hate God when he comes. Because religious people want to be told what they want to hear. And they don't want to hear the truth. And Jesus entered into a conflict with religious leaders over tradition. That's the point of this chapter 7. And that's what caused them to reject Jesus ultimately. Come on somebody. Now before I preach this to you, before I teach this to you. Where are you? Are you so religious and so full of tradition that God can't move in you? Do you just have an outward form and no inward reality? Lord, help us. God will come head to head against that stuff. Tradition and religion can be in any form. 
You can call it by any title, Pentecostal, Apostolic, Baptist, Catholic, Church of Christ, whatever. That tradition will cause you to not experience God in your life. I don't want religion. I don't care what flavor it is. I want God in my life. Now watch this. That is the background of everything that is happening here in chapter 7. Now watch. Notice, they come, the Pharisees and the scribes, certain of the scribes. Now what's a Pharisee? Well, a Pharisee was a religious man in the days of Jesus who tried very hard to keep the law and to stay pure and stay right with God. And they had a lot of good. Everything about the Pharisee wasn't bad. They had a lot of good. Do you understand? They tried to keep the Torah, they call it, or the instruction of God, the Old Testament. All right, you with me? And Pharisee means separated ones. Okay? Then there was another group called the scribes. The scribes were people who interpreted and applied the law to the lives of people, telling them, okay, this is what the law means. This is what the instruction means. And this is what you have to do to not break it. So they interpreted it and they applied it to the lives of people. Do you understand? Now, here's the problem. Because of their interpretation, okay, it's not the Word of God that's the problem. The Lord Jesus, listen to me, the Lord Jesus never violated the Word of God. Never. Jesus kept all the commandments of the Lord. He never broke one commandment of God. But He always was breaking the traditions. And the traditions that He broke caused them to hate Him. So it's not the Word of God we're talking about here. We're talking about the traditions of the elders. Or the interpretations and applications of that Old Testament. Okay? Now, y'all still awake? Not only was the tradition of the elders the interpretation of the Scripture, but the tradition of the elders was the interpretation of the interpretation. If you can't have church sitting by the person you're sitting by, get up and get away from them. The tradition was not just the interpretation application of the Word of God, misapplied and misinterpreted, but it was the interpretation of the interpretation that was a tradition. Do you understand? Let me say that again. The tradition was the interpretation and the application of the Word of God by the scribes and the Pharisees. And then tradition was the interpretation of the tradition. And then it was the interpretation of the interpretation of the tradition that interpreted the Bible. So by the time you get through all the traditions, through all the traditions and the interpretation of the tradition and the interpretation of the interpretation of the tradition, you, you couldn't even see God's Word. 
because it was covered up with all kind of man-made religion and tradition. And it came from the scribes and the Pharisees and the popes. Oh, excuse me. And the preachers and the pastors. And the bishops and the friars. That's where it came from. So that now people weren't obeying the word of God. They were obeying the traditions to the point that the traditions were more important than the word of God itself. And so they got full of religion and that's all they had. They had an outward form of religion. Formalism. But no inward real life with God. They needed a nature change on the inside. And Jesus comes along. And he is God come in the flesh. Peter said when he was seeking in the water, he said, save me. What he's saying is a play on words. Jesus means salvation. So when he said, save me, he's saying, Jesus, 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 you're the Savior. Jesus, you're God. So now... They're starting to get an understanding that Jesus is the Savior. That Jesus is the one who brings, listen, He's the one who brings righteousness from God. And the need of man is a nature change, not more religion. You got it? Give God some praise. So he comes up against all this religion and tradition and formalism that was just stacked upon the Word of God so that the people stopped obeying the Word of the Lord, but they kept the traditions of the elders. Now watch. He gives us an example. Yes, Lord. These scribes and these Pharisees with all of their tradition travel from Jerusalem to where Jesus is to what? Criticize Him. That's their motive for going to church. To criticize or to find fault with the Lord. That was their motive. And the Bible says, so when they get there, you know, come on somebody. I won't preach to you real tonight. If you're looking for somebody to make a mistake, you'll sit there and you'll just look. Oh, but watch for them to, to, to falter. Watch for them to fail. Watch for them to make a mistake. You understand? And that's exactly what they did. Now, give me a break. I get sick and tired of religion. That's why I'm so fired up this tonight. And I get sick and tired of religious people. Now, ultimately, what Jesus was saying would cause him to be crucified by them. So this is extremely important for us to get. Now, if you don't think Jesus knew their spirit, He knew their spirit. He knew their tradition. He knew their religion. He knew why they came. He's not deceived. He's not playing funny games. He knows what's up. He knows what's in the heart of every person. 
Praise the Lord God. Now we'll get out of here to decent hour if you'll get God in you. But if you want to just sit there and be cute and be formal, then you might be here for a while. Because we're going to get rid of some of this cute stuff and some of this formal stuff that we've got hanging around the house. Because that is a hindrance to a manifestation of God and His power in your life. And that goes for this preacher too. I've got stuff on me. God, let him just, God just rip it off of me. Now watch this. These Pharisees are watching. And they notice that the disciples who are very hungry, they just got off the boat ride of their life. You know, they're hungry. They reach over and grab something, you know, and eat. Just start eating. And those old scribes and those old Pharisees, those religious people, sitting there watching every minute of it. To see if what? Not if these disciples are obeying the word of the Lord. But to see if these disciples are keeping their traditions. Look at me. I'm not on the ground. I know the ground's prettier than I am, but look at me. I don't know what's the matter with me, man. You should have. I started out as a lamb, now I'm a lion. (laughs) But they're watching him and them. So they go over there, and there's certain prescribed ways that Jewish people were supposed to wash their hands. I mean, it wasn't just going up to the sink, putting a little soap on your hand, wash your hands like this, and drying off, and voila. You know, and it wasn't just a matter of washing your hands so that your hands would be clean and sanitary and and for hygiene reasons. They looked at clean hands or unclean hands as either making them right with God or wrong with God. If their hands weren't clean, they were ceremonially unclean in the eyes of God, which means they were not right with God if they didn't wash their hands. So it was more to them than just hygiene. It was a matter of being right with God or not right with God. Being accepted by God or not being accepted by God. Washing the hands the way the scribes said they had to be washed. So, just to give you a little idea, just real briefly about, they would take the fist. This is, okay, this is what they would have to do. You have to take the fist, you have to take water, you have to rub your hand clean with the fist in the palm of the hand. You have to make sure water goes all the way to the wrist and in some cases all the way to the elbow because if the water doesn't flow all the way down to the wrist or all the way to the elbow, you didn't wash your hands. And if you didn't wash your hands like this, the way they prescribed you to wash your hands, you didn't wash your hands. You couldn't do it like this. Do you understand? And that was all a bunch of tradition. It was a bunch of man-made rules. That they raised above the word of God itself. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? And you can, and I've got the Mishnah on my computer, and I've got the or the Talmud and the Mishnah, and explains all these ceremonial washings, man. I mean, I want you to know you'd have to be a genius just to wash your hands and wash your body and know what pots that you could put water in and what you had to do with a certain pot when it touched an unclean thing, you know. You'd have to be a genius, a scholar, to keep up with all the scribal tradition. I wouldn't have made it. I, 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 I would have been wrong with God from the get-go. 
I'd have been out of relationship with God right from the start. And no laugh, so would you. We got the Holy Ghost and still can't live for God. We got the Word of God and we still don't live for God. So you'd have had a problem too. They tried to implement all these things, you know. Well, for one example, it, it was, in the, it was a, an area of purification, or purity, a cleanliness, right relationship with God. That's what this was about. All their traditions, okay? Now, there were certain things in the Bible that if you did touch, they would make you unclean. Dead bodies, bones, you know, etc. It'd make you unclean. And there were certain prescribed washings that you had to go through. But the tradition of the elders was all of that extra explanation, interpretation, and, you know, application of the word of the Lord. That comp- and so the word of God lost its purpose. It lost its original purpose because of all the rules. Do you understand? Because the washing of hands or the lack thereof would never damn a person's soul. Or never make them wrong with God or right with God. But that's the way they interpreted it. All right? You understand? Give God some praise. Now let me give you an example of pure, uh, something that was purified. That was considered pure. A stone pot. You could put water in a stone pot. But be, and because it was made out of stone. The Jews believed that the stone would not, would, could not be contaminated by the dead bones of people. So you could put you know, certain fluids, for example, in the stone pot. Now where am I going with this? Everything that Jesus is teaching, he's showing them how to get right with God. It's the righteousness that he's bringing. He's showing them how to get pure. He's showing them how to get cleansed. He's showing them there where the problem is. It's inside. And he's the only one that can take care of the inside. You can have your dress down to your ankles. You can have them down to your, right here to your wrist. You can have your button all the way button to the top of your neck. And still be lost without God. Come on, church. So Jesus comes in. He's going to show them how to get right with the Lord. And the stones, big old stone. Bottles, pots. In John chapter 2. The Bible says, has the water of purification in it. Not just any water, but the water of purification. That's what this chapter is about. Pure and impure things. Clean and unclean things. And in these water pots, stone water pots, water, but not just water, water of purification. And the water of purification was the ashes of the red heifer mingled in the water. So that the stone pots that had the water of purification in it was the ashes of the red heifer inside of that water. It is the water that purified people, made them clean. When that water was sprinkled on an unclean person, they became clean. But the priests became unclean. 
So he which was clean becomes unclean, and that which was unclean becomes clean. Do you know that Solomon, in the, in the Jewish writings, historically say that Solomon understood all of the sacrifices with one exception, and that was the sacrifice of the ashes of the red heifer in Numbers chapter 19, because he could not understand how that water was water of purification would make some people clean, but the priest would be unclean until evening. He did not understand the significance of that sacrifice. Taking ashes of a red heifer, mingling it with water with hyssop and scarlet and cedar. He didn't understand. What is that about? It's a purifying water. But how can it make the priest unclean? That which was clean, unclean. And that which was unclean, clean. He didn't understand it. You know why? Because it could only be fulfilled in the Lord. Now those water pots of purification what you need to understand is they took the ashes of the red heifer and they sprinkled it on a huge cistern and then in certain places they would have pots that have would have this water in them because maybe the people could not get to that cistern with the ashes of the red heifer in the water and in a jewish wedding if you were not purified you could not enter into the wedding and in John chapter 2, Jesus goes to the wedding and the water pots of purification. He turns them into wine. So he's trying to show you the way that you really get purified is by my blood. I am the fulfillment of the ashes of the red heifer. I am the one that will make the unclean. Look at this. I will make the unclean clean by becoming unclean in their place. Judicially, I will become sin for them so that that water purification turned into wine of the blood of Jesus Christ typically. So everything he's teaching, everything he's preaching is saying, get rid of your tradition. You need a nature change. You need to be purified. And the only way you can get pure is by me. The only way you get right with God is me making you right. It doesn't matter. You go to church till you, till you fall over dead in a pew. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible through a hundred times. It doesn't matter if you bring your tithes or your offers. It doesn't matter how many Hail Marys you say, how many confessions you make to a priest. doesn't make any difference. Are you getting the point? That didn't make you right with God. But because you are right with God, you do those things. That is what he's trying to get them to see. I am the Savior. I am God. I am the bread of life. I will have power over death. I am the one that can change you. But you want your traditions and reject me. The whole Jewish world needs to hear this message. And not just the Jewish world, but the whole Gentile world. Jesus is the only way. That is the gospel. It's not going through some ritual or through some form. It's a relationship with God. And so he really, boy, he's going to lay into a man. I mean, you know, if you understood the spirit, sometimes when you preach, it's not just the word that you preach, but you've got to get in the spirit of that preaching. What, how did Jesus speak? What was his spirit like? He was breathing fire, man. He was in confrontation with these religious people. Now watch this. 
So he says, yes, Lord. When they come from the market, except they wash. See, not only <laughs> did they not wash their hands properly, you know. And uh, they had all these rules concerning pots, unclean pots, and the way you're supposed to wash pots. And some of you were supposed to break and all and on and on and on and went. And then also a rule was that if you go to the marketplace, because the marketplace is an unclean place. Because there's a bunch of Gentiles there. There's a bunch of dead stuff there. It's all dead. So you walk in, you just walk in that place. You just walk on that ground. And because you walked in that unclean place, just because you stepped foot there made you unclean. So as soon as you got home, you had to, or you had to go to a mikvah. You had to go to a bath somewhere and ceremonially cleanse yourself because you were unclean because you went to Walmart. Or you went into a, a place to eat and they sold liquor. Whoa, Lord, help me. I'm unclean. Do you hear what I'm trying to tell you tonight? Can you imagine every time you go to the store, you might have took a bath to go to the store before you went to the store. Then you go to the store, you come home from the store and got to take another bath. Well, what if you forgot something at the marketplace? So you got to go back to the marketplace. Then you go get back from home with your bread that you forgot. Got to take another bath because you're wrong with God. <laughs> That's the tradition of the elders. That's the rules of the elders. I can't have church, man. I'm... And I know you did too, or you wouldn't be here. So he, he, he quotes a scripture in Isaiah 29, verse 13. He says, He answered and said unto them. You know, he, see, it's one thing to preach in front of people, it's another thing to preach to people. See, there's a lot of preachers, man. They know how to preach. They have the skill. They, are you with me? They know how to speak. They know how to walk. They've got it all down. But they don't believe anything to preaching. So what they do is they preach in front of people or preach before people. God called you to preach to people. So I'm not just preaching in front of you tonight. I'm preaching right to you. I'm looking at you in your eyeball. And when Jesus preached, he didn't just preach in front of them to put on a show. Jesus looked them in the eyes and said, this is you. You are Isaiah 29, 13. Now, Jesus, don't you want to win them? Don't you want to make friends of these poor scribes and Pharisees? You, could, you might win them to God. Aren't you worried that you're going to run them off? You know what our problem is? We say, I'm just worried that I would run them off. I'm just worried that they would just leave. You know what you're really saying? You're not worried about their leaving, them leaving God. Because if they leave God, where in the world are they going to go? And if they leave the truth... Come on. We're not worried about them leaving truth or leaving God so we don't come off too strong. You know what we're afraid of? They're going to reject us. That's what we're afraid of. But Jesus said, this is you right here. Isaiah 29. Well did the prophet Isaiah speak of you. 
Woo! Lord, I'm having church. Now watch. Well, hath Isaiah prophesied unto you hypocrites. You know what the word hypocrite means? There's, there interprets the word hypocrite as meaning somebody, number one, who speaks. Number two, somebody who puts on an act. So a hypocrite is somebody who speaks something before the people. They, they, acted, they, they got the lines down. They got the act down. They got the walk down. But they don't believe anything they are saying. They are hypocrites. They are interpreters. They are speakers who are actors. And that's what Jesus said about these Pharisees and scribes. He said, you're nothing but a bunch of professional preachers. You know your lines. You know how to act. You know the right inflection. You know exactly when to do certain things. You got it all down. But you don't believe what you're telling the people yourself. Come on, give, some, give God some praise. Hallelujah. And because of that, and all these rules, that these people are supposed to follow their rules, not God's word, their traditions. And when they didn't, they were looked at as ceremonially unclean and wrong with God. And they didn't even believe it themselves. They couldn't even keep it themselves. So they were hypocrites. They could talk a good talk. They knew the lines. They know how to say the lines. They know how to act it. But they don't preach to the people the word of the Lord. You understand? Give God some praise. What they were concerned about was teaching their liturgical, you know, Church system, church ways. Telling you, the church today in America and all over the world is full of tradition. People say, I'm a this and I'm a that and I'm a this and don't know God. Don't know God. You know why? Because they have decided to follow what men say about God instead of men speaking God to the people they are, they are men who say things about God that are not true and because of that most denominations are out there and have a great following but those people are dead in the pew they don't have the inward life they've just got an outward form of religion because they have been swept up in a man-made tradition there's no spirit in the church there's no life in the church there's no power in the church because God is not there and these preachers and these people would, are more you know they're happier with being a part of their denomination or their tradition or their religion than they are having a relationship with God and that's what Jesus was in conflict with Come on. So I'm not just preaching some archaic message way back there when Jesus was walking. I'm telling you that's exactly where we are right now. Your denomination, your tradition will run right flat smack in the face of God. It will be a conflict with the Lord, conflict with the Lord himself and cause you to miss the indwelling power of his spirit. 
because all you have is an outward form of religion and that's what Jesus was in conflict with here now I love you Catholics out there and I love you Baptists out there and I even love some of you Pentecostals but if you're not careful you can get religious see if you don't have a move of God in your life you know what you do you exchange a move of God in your life by a form by a ritual that's the way it is when a man lose God loses God he gets more formal he gets more outward he gets more religious come on somebody now hang with me here just a little bit Let me just throw this into you because I feel the Lord to tell it right now. Not to wait. But if you look in Acts chapter 2, the Bible said when the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, it sat upon them as what? Cloven tongues as a fire set upon each of them. Upon them. Then the Bible says when they were filled with the Spirit, they all began to speak with other tongues. So you have upon and in. And the uponness of God is His sovereignty, sovereignty setting on you and possessing you for His purpose. When He sets on me, that means He comes and takes over for His purpose. But it's not just upon us, it's in us. Which means my inward life must correspond with my outward life if my outward life does not correspond with my inward life then I am the same place that these people were they had the outward they had the temple they had the ceremony they had the traditions but they missed the spirit they had the letter of the law but they missed the spirit of the law that's why the Bible said they did not hear the voice of the prophets they read them daily in the Sabbath on the Sabbath they read them all the time so they heard the word of the prophet but they did not hear the voice of the prophet you've got to get to the voice of the prophet what did they mean by that not just the word the outward the formal the upon but the inward life of God are you getting the point here let your neighbor say upon and in if my inward life does not match up with my outward life then what I have is formalism now watch that's exactly where they are right here their focus is on the outward form their focus is on the outward religion they've missed the life of God and so the Lord says the problem is not with your outward things your natural things the problem is with your inward life you got the I's dotted you got the T's crossed but how about your inside well give God well I feel the Holy Ghost in this house so he is upon me right now for his purpose but he is in me for life and those two must be together or we'll become nothing more than a religious group ourselves. 
rule keepers. Focusing on outward things only. And our inward life is not lining up with our outward. So he says the problem is on the inside. And let me show you what all is on the inside. All that's on the inside is what defiles us. That's why you need a new nature. You need to be purified. If you get the inside out, if you get the inside right, the outside will be right. But you can have the outside right and the inside be wrong. It is upon and in. Now watch. So he uses an example of their traditions. Okay? You with me here? Now I promise I'm, I'm going to let you out of here if you, if you know you let God move in. <laughs> Who's the judge? Well, <laughs> I guess God is. But watch this. He said, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites? Oh, man. See, nobody likes to be told that. In fact, there's nobody in here that likes to be told that. You, you don't even like for me to get on to you if you don't open your Bible and read along when I'm reading the Scripture. You have a problem with that, and you get offended with that. How would you think all of you said, you're never a hypocrite? How would you feel then? Ooh, I can't believe you talked to me like that. Oh, my feelings are hurt. I'm offended. Yeah, man. But Jesus looked at him and he told him exactly what they were. He'd been around the bush. He spoke the truth. Do you understand? Now, he says this. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're not right inwardly. They got the outward profession of faith. They got the outward confession. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. But their hearts are far from me, saith the Lord. Their inward life is not right. Let me just help the new ones that are coming in here. Whatever you do, don't get caught up with some group that just like to sit around and have the outward. Well, I went to church. You get up here and have a move of God. You get up here and let God move in you. Don't look at so, some person who's been at Pentecost for 20 years that's dead in the pew, that's just got religion. You get up here and have a move of God in your life. Get rid of the tradition. You hearing this? Do you know a lot of Pentecostal churches that used to be revival full of the spirit of the living God are dead and formal now? At the dictates of the pastor? If that church is dead, it primarily starts with the man behind the pulpit. Now, apostolics and Pentecostals are not exempt from it. They've got to say, well, don't you do that dancing in here. And you don't do that running in here. And you don't, you know, you don't do that speaking in tongues in here, you know. We're not going to have none of that. We're going to go to this formal stuff. They miss God. God help me tonight. None of us are getting like that. See, it's dangerous to be in the church more than two years. Because the first couple of years, you're fired up. You don't even know what you're doing. You're just in love with Jesus. Speaking in tongues. Running around, hopefully. Dancing around. 
saying praise the Lord when you should be quiet, being quiet when you should be praising the Lord. You don't, you don't even know what in the world's going on. Praise God for you. But after two or three years, you get all religious, you know. You get all cute, all refined, you know. I'm Pentecostal. I'm apostolic. I'm Jesus' name. I'm one God. You came in the church in rags when you came. Now you got a pretty suit. When you came in the church with rags on, you cried out to him and said, He's holy. I need you, God. I'm undone. I'm filthy and unclean. But now you've been in the church for two or three years. You got the look. And some of you got the walk. It's nothing more than spiritual pride. See, that could get a hold of us too. God hates that junk. I ought to be able to preach in blue jeans and a t-shirt. As powerful as I can preach in a suit. That's the point. We come in here with a heart for God, crying out to God. Knowing who we are, knowing what our need is. Knowing we're nobody. Going for God. And then after a while... We start going to church and critique and criticize and watch every move the pastor makes and everything he says, critique the way he says it, the methods, everything that's going on. You have missed it, my friend. You need to get back to God. Get rid of your Pentecostal religion, your tradition, and get a hold of God. And I'm not preaching against buns, but after a while you got the bun just right. I want to help you tonight. There's nothing in the Bible that says buns makes you more holy. In fact, if you're not careful, buns might make you unholy. (laughs) And I'm not preaching against buns. I'm just telling you, after a while, we know the walk. We know the look, man. We got it down. But do we still have God inside of us? Or have we just become a bunch of traditionalists? Lost God 20 years ago. Don't even know he left. Because you've learned how to go through the form. How to sing just right. Hit every note just right. Wave your hand a certain way, you know. Got the dance down just right, you know. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I'm talking about. But where is Jesus? These people right here think that they got God. They think God is in their midst. And He is looking them right in the eyeball, rebuking them, <laughs> correcting them. I, I can say this. I, I can say this because I had a mentor who said it. So I give him the credit. His name's Brother Dice. You know what he used to say? He'd get up there and teach us and preach to us. And he would say this. There's some of your old Pentecost religion I hate. And he put it just like that. He said, I can't stand some of your old Pentecost religion. That's a powerful man of God. 
You know why? Because he had been around it long enough to see the traditions take over people. Lord, I pray that 25 years from now, I'm still on fire, still full of the Holy Ghost, still running, still dancing, still praising the Lord in spirit and in truth. I hope I don't ever get formal dead dry in a pew. Because formalism is a manifestation of deadness. And I know some of you are coming out of those old formal churches. Well, let me tell you something. I used to be a Lutheran, and I still am. <laughs> but I used to go sit in that formal church. It was so cold in there. Couldn't feel nothing. Couldn't feel no, because there was nothing there. And it don't get much more formal and, you know, dignified than Lutheranism. But guess what? I got saved. So he's telling them here. He says, you, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You came to church just so you could say you went to church. Oh, boy. Y'all look like you're mean. Man, you're looking at me like I've been looking at you. That's starting to scare me, man. Hallelujah. You with me here? There's nothing passive about this. It's all aggressive. There's nothing in the Word of God that's passive. You let that old passive religious spirit get a hold of you, you're going to die. You're going to be dead. You're going to be crying. You're going to be looking for something else in all the wrong places. Watch this. He said, how be it in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? He said, what they're teaching is not my word, but they're teaching their word. They're not preaching God. They're saying things about God that are not true. There's a big difference. Come on. Now watch this. I've got to hurry. For laying aside the commandment of God. What he's against here is their tradition. Not the word of God. You hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots, cups, and many other such like things you do. He's trying to get them to see their need for him. And he saith unto them, full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. You know, people, you preach them, preach, show them something right out of the Word of God. <clears throat> and say, I don't believe that because my church don't preach that. Well, you're an idiot. You are an idiot. Because what you have just done is exactly what Jesus said they were doing. You reject the commandment of God because you want to hold on to your tradition, your religion, and your denomination. Then you are no better than these people are right here. Lord, help me if I ever get to preach in a Baptist church. I think I've gotten my message. And if I ever get to preach in the apostolic Pentecostal churches, probably got my message. 
Whose Bible did I steal? I steal your Bible now? Sorry. <laughs> you understand, don't you? See, we take for granted what is in this place. But we can't ever start getting religious on God. And traditional on God. You know what? All you need to do is just go off out of town somewhere and go in a church somewhere. It, it doesn't even have to be one of those dead churches. Go to a Pentecostal church somewhere. A Jesus name one God apostolic church somewhere. And see if God is still there. Or if all they have is just a tradition. That traditional Pentecostalism. Are you here? Now thank God for good tradition and right tradition. But if the inward doesn't line up with the outward, you got a problem on your hands. Watch this. He goes on. He said, for Moses said, under thy father. Now, some of y'all were waiting. You wanted me to get to this verse. You could not wait for me to get to this verse. You read ahead last week. You said, now, who I hope pastor lets my kids have it. Because they need to take care of mama and daddy. Well, I might disappoint you, honey. Because the issue's deeper than mom and dad getting taken care of. And the issue is larger than getting to eat anything you want to because it goes out in the sewer. <laughs> the focus is tradition. Now, now, oh, yeah, see, I hear you right now. I hear you right now. But aren't we supposed to take care of mom and dad? Well, hello, what do you take me as? Of course, when they get old and they can't take care of themselves, you're supposed to help them, you know? And even if they can't take care of themselves, it's good for you to help them at times. Not, oh, come on, somebody. Not to bless their laziness. So you don't want me to preach, do you? <laughs> Let me show you really what the focus is here. Tradition. These Pharisees, and these scribes had a tradition that if you dedicated something to God, that meant that you could not use it for anything else. All you had to do was bring a portion of your estate to God and say, I dedicate my whole estate. Then you could keep enjoying your estate. You acted like you gave it to God. You regarded it as given to God. When it never was really given to God, you just said Corban, which means dedicated to God. It was a hoax. It was a trick. It was a lie to, to indulge self. It wasn't because they cared anything about God. It's because they wanted what they wanted for themselves. Let me explain Boy, watch this. Here's your, one of your traditions. Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curse the father and mother, let him die the death. But you say, If a man shall say to his father and mother, it is Corban, that it is say it a gift. Now, Corban means this Corban means to draw near to God, it means to. Be lifted up on a high plane. All right, amen. So that when you brought an offering to the Lord, it was korban, which means, watch this, dedicated. Mm. All right. 
dedicated for divine purpose. Okay? The benefit you received when you brought that Korban to God and dedicated to God was that it brought you to a higher place in God. It puts you on a higher level. So when you bring an offering to the Lord, whether it be tithes or offerings, what it ultimately is about is that when you do that, it is a thing that causes you to get closer to God. What you are doing it for is to get closer to God. It will literally cause you to get closer to God. It will lift you to a higher dimension in God. So Corban means to draw near or to be raised to a higher plane. So when you bring your offering to God, your korban, your offering, then what it is, it's not a sacrifice. Because you are receiving benefit. And the benefit is a higher level in God and you are closer to God. That is the reason why you give your offering. And we call it a sacrifice, but it's really not a sacrifice because there's always benefit to it. Number one, primarily, is that you go higher in God. And we talk about offer a sacrifice, Hebrews says, offer a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. But he explains that in Hebrews 12. He explains that to what? To thank the Lord. To offer thanks to God. Really, when you praise the Lord, that is no sacrifice. The Bible calls offering thanksgiving to the Lord a, a, a sacrifice because when you don't feel like thanking Him, when things are not going like you want them to go, then you thank Him anyway, and that's when it becomes a sacrifice. The Bible talks about a sacrifice of joy. Why does he call it a sacrifice of joy? Because when you don't feel joy, you still rejoice. So you don't wait on the feeling. You offer a sacrifice of joy when you don't have joy. You offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving when you have nothing to thank God for. That is a sacrifice. But praise is no sacrifice. Because there's a benefit. And giving offerings is no sacrifice. Because there's a benefit. And that's you go higher in God. That's why Corban, dedicated, offered to God. It means to draw near. Or go to a higher place. That's what the word means. That's what it truly means. But what these tricksters did and these liars did because they didn't want to help mom and dad or pay their bills. Did you hear me? They didn't want to help mom and dad or pay their bills. They said everything I got is dedicated to God. When it really wasn't. God really didn't receive it. They got to keep it. But all they did was say Corban over it, dedicated to God. And that meant that mom and dad couldn't have any and no bill collector could have it either. Just because they said it. It was a tradition that the scribes and Pharisees allowed. Come on. 
because at the beginning of it they would bring a large portion of that estate and give it so-called to the Lord so the scribes and Pharisees receive benefit from that and they allowed these people to get away with it because of their tradition it is misapplied scripture I told you what it really means but I, now I'm telling you how they used it so it's, you know, it is important to make sure mom and dad, when they get indigenous, you know, when they get into a place where they can't take care of themselves, it is important for the son to take care of that mom or that dad. Are you here tonight? But the point here is not mom and dad. The point is tradition. And he said they do many things just like this washing ceremonially and this, this Corban thing. They reject the commandment of the Lord. They excuse themselves. Now, come on. Now, you know why I'm preaching like I am? Because in times people, I, past I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I got a mama that needs something. That means I can't bring my tithes and offerings. And they're driving a sports car. <laughs> See, you can go both ways. You can say, I got to take care of mom and dad so I can't bring my offerings. Well, you're just the same that they are. Come on, if you really want to, you can probably do both. You could probably honor God with your giving and take care of mom and dad at the same time. And you'd be in the will of the Lord. And maybe do, with, would do without something. Oh Lord, you didn't want me to preach, did you? And a mom and dad strong enough to get out there and, you know, provide for themselves. Help them out if you can. But come on, somebody. God is not telling you. you oh, Lord. Praise the Lord. I, hey, I live what I preach. I got a mama too. And I got a God. His name's Jesus. And I try to take care of both of them. Hallelujah. And it can be done. So the point is, hallelujah, tradition. They were using Corban as an excuse. It really wasn't dedicated to the Lord. It was selfishness. So all you people who came to church tonight and say, I got children. They're supposed to honor me. They're supposed to take care of me. They're supposed to fund me. They're supposed to buy my food, buy my house. You know, yeah, boy, pastor's going to let them have it tonight. I got kids in the church. Pastor's going to let them have it tonight. <laughs> but the whole context is tradition. They miss the word of God. You understand the point? Now, I'm not preaching against mama. And I'm not preaching against daddy. Hallelujah. <laughs> Boy, it's quiet in here. So I told this brother, he called me up with this deal. You know, I said, you know what you need to do? You can do both. Take care of them. You're going to have to do without that sports car, maybe. Oh. Hey, yeah. Now we're getting down to nitty gritty, man. You're just using mom and dad as an excuse. That's what you're about. Or maybe on the other hand, you're using your giving as an excuse to not take care of them. And you do have a responsibility when they get older to take care of them. If my mom, if she gets old and she can't take care of herself and I don't take care of my mom, I'm worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. 
You with me? She's doing pretty good right now. <laughs> she's she doing, she doing all right. Hallelujah. She, oh, mama, she's getting along great. Praise the Lord. You're doing great. Driving a Cadillac, you know. So, yeah, she, she's doing great. Hallelujah. <laughs> Lord, help me. All the Pharisees say, praise the Lord. Boy, y'all getting too good. <laughs> Did I get to anybody? Do I have any Pharisees in the house? All the scribes said, praise the Lord. Y'all just getting too good, man. I'm not fast enough anymore. All the liars say, no, not really. <laughs> But you see the point here. Oh, I mean, and he is nailing them to the wall. Nailing them, man. Getting right down where it really is, where it really means something. Okay? Now, I praise God for those of you who take care of your family, man. I pray for you because it's, it's work. It's a challenge. It's very difficult because a lot of them are not in a place where they can take care of themselves. So the Lord bless you. You are in the will of God by doing that. And the Lord will honor that and He will bless that. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Watch this. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Which means he's free from his obligations or his responsibilities by just saying Corban. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's, it was a loophole for them. That's all it was. It wasn't, it was an outward expression of piety. No real inward godliness, but a more, a mere outward form of godliness. That's the point. The tradition only produces an outward form. They'll know the word of God inside and out. They can quote it backwards and forwards, but they don't know what, what it means. Because they don't hear the voice of the prophets. They don't hear the inner meaning. What, is, what are they getting to? That's what you have to do in these passages. Give God some praise, would you? So they make the Word of God of none effect. Now, listen to me. Last night, yesterday, I spent hours on my computer trying to find out in the Word of God the responsibility of a son towards his mom and dad. I couldn't find it defined. I found here it says honor thy father and mother and it'll be well with you you know and you'll have long life I found that I found how that you're not supposed to curse them I found that but I don't find anywhere where it tells me how you know why because God leaves it up to you common sense he shouldn't have to tell me everything now if you can find it please find it and show me man I'll beat my brains out so I can stand up and tell you what your responsibility is But the whole point is tradition. Why are you looking at me like that? Like, feed me. <laughs> Tell me everything. No. I, no. You got a Bible. You got the Holy Ghost. You need to take your Bible and the Spirit of God that is in you and find out for yourself, honey. I'm not responsible to give you everything. 
but I'm trying. Okay? Now watch this. Man, I'm messing up a good message. Man, I'm messing. It was going, man, I had everything just right. Man, it was going good. My homiletics and my hermeneutics and my exegesis. And it was perfect. And now then I get off. I mess up the whole thing. <laughs> Y'all know what homiletics, hermeneutics, and exegesis, all that is, don't you? Yeah, sure, sure you do. Praise the Lord. Let's go on. <laughs> I don't find anything funny in that, you blessed little stoic you. Oh, God. Lord, I, to- I knew as soon as I started I had something on me. Y'all ready? The Bible says this. And when he had called the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. He's telling the whole congregation. He says, here is what I want you to see. Hear the voice. Don't just hear what I'm saying. Hear the intention of what I'm saying. Get behind the the message. Get behind the letter. Understand the context. Watch. Are y'all ready for this? Tighten your seatbelt. Latch him. Watch. There's nothing from out without a man that in. Come on. What good is it to have all the outward all put together and the inside be full of filth? What good is it to have the outward uponness but not the inward life? What good is it? Do you understand? We need both of them. But he's dealing with their outward tradition. Now watch this. There is nothing from without a man that entereth into him can defile him. Praise the Lord. Oh yeah, all the pork eating people said praise the Lord. Bacon eaters say praise the Lord. All the bacon eaters. Pig tongue, pig head, pig eyes. Feet. Pickled pig feet. Oh, hallelujah. I got Bible for my insanity. You with me here? There's nothing from without a man that there ain't. I'm going to show you. You've got to hear the voice behind the word. Again, is he telling you that you can ingest anything you want to and it's not going to do you any harm? Is he telling you you can smoke dope, drink alcohol, eat anything you want to, and it's going to be all right? You know better than that. The Bible in other places tells you not to do that. So you can't take any portion of the Bible and pull it out of text, context, and preach it what you want it to preach. What is Jesus' point here? Man, some of y'all gave us cakes. I thought I had Bible for ingesting it. <laughs> Nothing on the outside goes in the man can defile a man. So I, I sat down and I ate cake, man. 
And then another sister brought some more cake. And I ate some more cake. Yesterday, I went to bed eating cake. <laughs> if you know me, I'm not. I, I watch that stuff, you know. Sister Martha Lava says, I'm watching my figure. <laughs> I watch that stuff. But I just twist it off good. I twist it off royally, man. I ate cake. <laughs> this morning, I got up. I've been sick all day. I've been puny and sick all day. I, I'm not going to get into details. But I can't even hardly stand up and worship God. And I said, God, if I, I can't even hardly stand up here and sing. Let's just get up here and preach. You know what I'm saying? I am so puny. So this does not give you a license to ingest poison and drugs and death and kill yourself by what you eat. Does it give you a license to eat all the, you know, trash? It might not damn your soul, but it'll kill you early. It'll give you diet sugar diabetes. It'll give you lupus. It'll give you all kinds of degenerative diseases because you are ingesting things that God's Word in Leviticus chapter 11 says that you should not be eating. And then after you ingest all that, you go drug up. Oh, see, now, now I can preach another message. Let me just be brief here. Your kids are all sick, you know, mostly because of what they eat. Then you take them off and give them, put them on amoxicillin. And amoxicillin makes them hyperactive. And then you say, oh my, why are my kids so crazy? Because you put them on amoxicillin. And amoxicillin makes them crazy. Makes them hyperactive, you know. Don't even know what to do themselves. And then to take care of that problem, you put them on Ritalin. And to take care of the problem that Ritalin produces, you put them on Prozac. So the drug culture has drugged America because America ingests all kinds of poison and disease. So this, okay, so this verse is not Bible for you to go cake crazy. Because you will hurt the next day. <laughs> right, Sister Philippe? See, I got Bible for pig, you know. And by the way, I bless pig in the name of the Lord. You can't change the nature of that hog. When you pray over it, it didn't change the nature of it. It's still got every known disease known to man you're putting in your mouth. Oh, see, you know what we preach, do you? Hallelujah. Well, it don't make me moral. Or it's not, it's, you know, it's all moral. It does, it's not moral. Okay, fine. Praise the Lord. So what? It don't damn you so. How many of you want to be laid up in a hospital bed? Having somebody change your diapers for you. You know what they say? That everybody at some point will wear diapers again. You know why? Because they don't take care of themselves. But anyway, this is not a health seminar. I twist off too. Hallelujah. The other day I ordered me a Shalotsky sandwich, a turkey original. And original says this, bacon. 
really what it says pastrami see i ordered that the the, the mesquite smoked turkey and it was ew, i didn't like it because it wasn't the original the original oh man boy you bite into that shalosky or that original mm, y'all have to go there after church you get a turkey original man they got a little slab of pastrami on there and i didn't know that's what made made the difference that's the only thing different i think and I started chomping down and I started seeing that red meat in there. And I said, there's something wrong going on here. But boy, this is good. <laughs> so I ate half of it, you know. Half of it. And, uh, and then I, on the other half, I pulled the pastrami out of whatever that little round red thing was. I pulled it out of there and I made myself feel better. <laughs> but I twisted off. <laughs> I understand that doesn't make me wrong or right with God, but it, you know, it's not good for my body. And I'm telling you, you can eat certain things and immediately your body goes, you know. You could reverse your sugar diabetes. You could reverse lupus. You could reverse all kinds of sickness if you just get exercising and get healthy and eat right. Might not damn your soul, but it is a sin to destroy your body. And I don't hear you griping and complaining when you go, got to go a thousand dollars down to the doctor. But when the Lord, no, really, seriously, you don't like it, but you're not complaining. But you bring an offering to God, and sometimes you do it grudgingly. You pay an attorney, no problem. You pay a doctor, no problem. You pay the mechanic, no problem. Anyway, Lord, help me tonight. I'm not preaching the commandments of men to you, traditions of men. I'm not telling you that you have to eat these things or not eat these things. Mm -hmm. But you know what I believe. So anyway, again, I'm messing up my hermeneutics, homiletics, and exegesis. There is nothing from without a man that entered into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. With me? Amen. When he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning this parable, and he saith unto them, Are you also are you so without understanding? Also, do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entered into the man, it cannot defile him? He's talking about religiously or spiritually. Right with God. That's the kind of defilement he's talking about. Eating the pork didn't defile me. Eating the cake didn't defile me. As far as God was concerned. Some of you been eating some, I can tell. You're in another realm. You're on a sugar high. You ate a, drink a whole co- big old liter of Coke before you came in here. What I'm drunk on. It ain't God either. Oh, I feel God. No, you don't. That's that Pepsi. <clears throat> I'm in another world. I just feel, you know. <clears throat> but God, it's not God. Stop blaming God for that. Pastor, but you don't understand. Lord, I can't go there. I'm not going there. 
I got my reason, Pastor, for eating all those candy bars before I came to church, you know, because I, it's this time of my month, you know. <sighs> so now you come in here, and if you didn't even have candy in, you'd be completely insane, and I couldn't preach to you anyway. You'd be madder than the devil at me. I didn't say anything right. You know, but now you got candy on top of the PMS too, you know. But you got it right, you know. It's your excuse. Nothing I can take in to go defile me. Mm, don't shut me down because I'm preaching good. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. It's not going to damn your soul. That's not the point. <laughs> you know what? You might, you might hate me. You might disagree with me. And everything I've said tonight, and that's your prerogative. But at least one thing about you, you're going to think when you leave. You're going to think. At least I've got you to thinking. You'll start analyzing why you do what you do. Why, what is your motivation behind it? Why do you do? How, come on, come on, somebody. Now watch. Here we go. Here's where the problem is. Inward. Not outward. Inward. And on top of that, your focus is so on the outward that you've made up a bunch of rules to control the outward. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning this parable. He said to them, are you, okay, I already read that to you, didn't I? Because, verse 19, I got read that one, didn't I? <laughs> because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out in the draught, purging all meats. He said, that which cometh out of man, that defileth man. Man, y'all give me a break. I'm beating my brains out up here. I am trying my best to help you. I am beating my brains out. Could you just give me the benefit of the doubt? Thank you. For from within out of the heart of man proceed. Number one. Here's what defiles us. Evil. The word evil means inherit evil. Evil thoughts. You know what an evil thought is? It's a thought or an imagination that you're dwelling on tonight that is creating rebellion in your mind. And that thought of doubt and rebellion in the imagination breaks out into evil action. So in your heart tonight, in your soul, your mind and your will, if you're not careful, you can be in rebellion. You can have all kinds of crazy imaginations and rebellion. And then what happens is it produces the action. And that comes out of the soul of man. So you got to be careful with your soul, with your mind, with your will. Because you'll start rebelling right in church. I can start rebelling right behind that pulpit. I can have all kinds of evil thoughts, evil imaginations, rebellious thoughts, rebellious attitudes standing behind that pulpit. If I don't get victory over it, it will defile me. I said it defiles me. 
It makes me unclean. It makes me impure. It puts me out of fellowship with God. So you just can't let your mind have its way and think whatever it wants to think and rebel. You can't do that. You've got to get your mind under control because it will defile your whole person. You got to think right. We have to get rid of stinking thinking. We got to get rid of the doubt. We got to get rid of the rebellion. Because that's what defiles me. Now, for all the people here who have it all together on the outside, you know you got the face right now. You know. You, you know how to handle fiery preachers. You sit under them long enough, so you know how to put on this certain face. <laughs> but how would you love to have all your thoughts? Well, I, I would, you know, I really would like to, to be honest with you. While I've been preaching this message, I would love to have everybody's thoughts just projected right there on that wall. I would love it. Because then you would say amen to what I'm telling you, what, we're, what Jesus is saying. Amen. See, see, you can sit there and you got all your form, you got your arms folded, you got your, you know, your stubborn self. You know, no, Lord, help me to be nice. <laughs> you know, and you got that, you got the act down, man. You've been sitting in churches. You've been running from church to church for so long. You know how to handle pastors. You know how to get that face, you know. And just, would to God, he would just flash all the thoughts on. Oh, yeah. Then you would say, Lord Jesus, you're right. I need you, God. I don't really have it together like I like to portray. I like to portray I got it together. But the Lord goes deep and he gets on the inside of us. He said, this is what defiles you. Next thing, y'all want to know what all these mean? Are you sure? Oh, I said, are you sure? <laughs> See, we love to leave it in the archaic. You know, those old big double-jointed words, you know, like lasciviousness. Oh, yeah. God hates lasciviousness. And we have no idea what in the world that means. But I preach against lascivious in the name of the Lord. <laughs> and everybody says, that's right, pastor, preach. Until you find out what that is. <laughs> we love to live behind the archaic. I'm telling you, man. That outward. Evil thoughts defile us. You with me here? And then he goes on, he says, adulteries. Adultery is sexual sin. I need somebody to go gather everybody in the back and bring them back into the house of the Lord. Seemed like they left as soon as I started preaching this. <laughs> oh, no, no, Lord. Adulteries, sexual sin. Sexual sin. Either within the context of marriage or the context of single. It doesn't matter if you're married or not married. If you have a sexual relationship with somebody and it's wrong, it's adultery. It's not just adultery if it's between, if it's somebody that's married. It's adultery if you're single. Because adultery is a sexual act. A wrong sexual act. That is in the heart of men. It is in the heart of women. 
That's what defiles us. Because if we allow that, if we meditate on that that's in the heart, it'll break out into an action. But it doesn't even have to be an action. You can commit sin by even just thinking about it. So you know what the Lord's doing? He's condemning everybody that he might show mercy upon all. He's telling them, you need a Savior. You need God. You need a, a nature change. Inwardly. That's the whole point of this. Saying, get rid of your religion. Get rid of your tradition. Get rid of your denominations and stuff. And get a hold of God. So again, adultery is sex outside of marriage and also sex if you are married with somebody else. You with me here? Amen. Then he goes on and he says fornications. The fornication comes from the Greek word porn, pornea or pornography. So fornication is in the heart of the person and that's what defiles us. It is pornography. But fornication, the word literally means any type of sexual sin. Adultery. Single or married. Sexual sin. Incest. Harlotry. Idolatry. Bestiality. Sodomy. Male prostitution. All of that is called fornication. So fornication is a general term. For all manner of sexual sin. Then he goes on. Murders. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? Thou shalt not kill. Doesn't mean that you can't go hunting and things like that. Okay, that'd be a tradition if I preach that. What he's saying is murder, manslaughter, violent destruction, destroying people's lives, murder. Self-explanatory. But that is in the heart of people. It's in the heart of every one of us. Now listen to me very carefully. Some of you say, well, pastor, I don't lie. And I don't cuss. You know, and I don't drink. And I don't smoke. And I don't dip. Okay. And we act like, boy, you know, we made it. Are you with me? And you think to yourself, I would never commit adultery and I would never commit a fornication and I would never murder anybody. But do you realize that you not only have the capacity to do so, but your evil nature is, is not only a capacity to do those things, but your fallen nature is a compulsion to do those things. And if the circumstances were right, any one of us at any time could commit any of these. Do you understand that? You never get to a place where you think, man, I've arrived. I don't need to worry about that. You have to depend on the inward life of the Spirit of God. Because at any time, you could fall to adultery, fornication, murder. At any time, any one of us in here could. Because it's in the heart. It's in your soul. It's there. We don't like to know that, but it is. It's truth. Did you hear what I said? You're not only capable... But you would be driven to do it if the circumstances were right. And if the circumstances weren't right, you'd make up circumstances to be able to. 
this is good preaching. And it's still early. Next thing. He goes on and he says, thefts, thefts. That's self-explanatory, isn't it? A thief. You can be a thief two ways. It's in the heart. You can be a thief, a robber in the sense that you are a violent robber. That you steal by violence. And then you can also, because there's two words for thief in that the word thief is translated from. One is a violent robber and another one is a deceit. A liar. A robber by deceit. A robber by deception. You're still committing theft. If you deceive somebody and you rob from them, you're a thief. It doesn't matter what environment. It doesn't matter what the conditions. It doesn't make any difference. If you deceive them, and receive something that they have by deception. You are a thief. But you see our world today condones it. You, oh, you're not one of those violent thieves that break in and kill people, you know. But are you a liar and a cheater on your job? Then you're a thief. He goes on. Mm, boy, this is good. Can you imagine the crowd that Jesus is preaching to? They're starting to squirm by now, man. I mean, they've got the water dripping off their wrists and they go, whoo. He goes on and says this. Covetousness. Covetousness. Covetousness is a de desire for something that is not right for you to have. If you desire something that you're, it's not right for you to have, then that's covetousness. Let me bring it over into this. To look at something that somebody else has that you don't have, and you want it. Belongs to them, but you want it. You're in covetous. You're a covetous person. It's a desire for what belongs to somebody else. It's not rightfully yours. But you want it. It's in your heart. He goes on and he says this. You with me here? Wickedness. Wickedness is when you do, do something wrong to somebody. And in the process... You cause them to do evil. See, it's not you just doing something wrong to somebody else, but it's when you get involved in wickedness, you literally cause them to become evil. So you cause the other person to fall by your actions of wrong. That's wickedness. That's in the heart. Then he goes on. Are you here tonight? lasciviousness now this has been interpreted different ways lasciviousness has been interpreted to mean that if you dress a certain way and you entice somebody to lust after you they they say that's lasciviousness okay so lasciviousness somebody could dress immorally and cause somebody to commit adultery in their heart or fornication in their heart they're both guilty one lasciviousness and one of adultery 
because the one is dressed wrong and improperly. But really lasciviousness is even more than that. Lasciviousness is the ability to sin without remorse. It means you can do wrong and it don't bother you anymore. You can sin and it doesn't bother you anymore. That is lasciviousness. Any form of sin that you commit that, that doesn't bother you. There's no remorse. There's no shame. You are a lascivious individual. But it comes from the heart. It comes from the heart, man. Are you with me here? It comes from the heart. He goes on and he says this. Y'all getting tired? An evil eye. Say an evil eye. An evil eye was an idiom for a stingy person. An evil eye was somebody who was a greedy person. An evil eye is when you see the success, prosperity of another person and you hate that. And you hope in your heart that their success, their prosperity is destroyed. If you've got that in you, you have an evil eye. You cannot stand the success and prosperity of another individual. And you hope that they fail. Or you hope that their success is destroyed. That's an evil eye. Because you're looking at the success of somebody else hoping for bad things to come on them. That is in our heart. Come on, church. Why are we like that at times? It's in our heart. What kind of person are you? Do you rejoice with those that do rejoice? Do you weep with those that weep? When you see the success of somebody, do you get excited for them? Or do you secretly inside hate that and hope that they fail? That is an evil eye. And so this can be in all of us. You know, man, I just, I hope they fail. Boy, I hope they fall. You know, why? Because you don't like their success. And that's the corporate ladder, man. In our culture, corporate ladder. Hope that guy on top falls and fails, you know, so that you can stomp all over him and climb to the top. Hopefully he don't make it so you, you know, hopefully you can get in there. Or hope he dies so you can take his place. <laughs> that is an evil eye. Boy, I hope they die. I hope they kick the bucket pretty soon. Because then I get to take their place. See, that falls on the line of both covetousness and an evil eye. Ooh, this is good preaching. Boy, we got our dresses just right. We don't, you know, we don't do this and we don't go there. And, you know, we got that. Yeah, but what about all this inward stuff? And then blasphemy, blasphemy when it's between people is slander. 
Slander is when you speak something about somebody that is not true to destroy them. Slander. Say something about somebody that's not true so you can destroy them. That is slander. But when it comes to God, blasphemy is speaking evil of God. You with me here? Blasphemy, it's in the heart. Under certain circumstances, every one of us would say something about somebody to destroy them. It's in us. And every one of us, if the circumstances were right, we would speak evil against God. I hope we wouldn't, but it's in the heart. It was by the grace of God that Job didn't curse God. When he started going through his circumstances and his problems and his difficulties and all his loss. And here he was trying to be faithful and live for the Lord. And he's losing all of this. It is a miracle that man didn't curse God or blaspheme God and die. Because that was in his heart. Okay. So anyway. Blasphemy. And then. Is this helping you me explaining these? Pride is where we have a feeling of superiority. Can happen to any of us. We get this, I'm superior to them. I'm superior. Well, you might be, okay? But the problem is the way you look at it. It may be that you're superior. But do you look at yourself that way? You have a superiority complex. I'm superior than them. I'm better than they are. God's saying we all need Him. We, all of us need God. We need Jesus. Pride, get a hold of you. It's the I, 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 I. Listen to the way you talk. We need to listen to the way we talk. It is the power of Satan. Satan in Isaiah 14, I, 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 five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. That's pride. It's in the heart of all of us. Foolishness. The last one Jesus makes a statement on is foolishness. You know what foolishness is? A disregard for consequence. That's foolishness. Foolishness, the Greek word. I don't have the Greek word up here on the pulpit with me, but I got it in my notebook. Foolishness is a disregard. The Greek word means a disregard for consequence. It's in your heart. You can go, you can know that you're doing wrong. And in your heart, you can get to a place, so what if I go to hell? So what if I have a consequence because of this? So what? Big deal. I'm going to do it anyway. That is foolishness. A disregard for consequence. You know there's a lot of people in the church of the living God that are very religious, full of tradition. Go to church all the time. But they're in a place where they really don't care anymore. They just don't care. They stop fighting. They don't care. Well, okay, so what? If I sin, so what? So what if I have consequence? So what? So what if I go to hell? So what? That is foolishness. 
You can get in that place. You know why you can get in that place? You know why we can't? Let me talk to you, to you this way instead of preaching at you. You know why we, all of us, can get in these places? Because it's in our heart. It's in that fallen nature. It's in my soul. That's why I told you, I told you Sunday morning, some of y'all Sunday morning, that some of y'all go in my office and you unload all kinds of filth. You say, I do this, I do that. And you think I'm just going to collapse and say, oh, I just can't believe it. And I look at you and I say, I got the same problem. You know why? Because it's in the fallen nature of man. It's in us. But for the grace of God and the power of His Spirit and His redemption and His cleansing power, there go every one of us. That's why none of us can boast. None of us can boast. All stand condemned. That he might show mercy upon all. I am just a delivery man. I'm just a delivery person. That's all I am. I am no better. I am no higher than you are. I am a delivery person. That's it. We have these things in us. You go along pretty good for a while and you're really walking with God in the spirits, you know, and you're doing pretty good and all of a sudden, boom, you fall into that. You with me? Adultery, fornication, wickedness, thefts, murders, lasciviousness, pride, evil eye. We're not only capable of it, we're driven. That's our fallen nature. But you know what the religious world does? The religious world gets its band-aids out and puts it on the cancer. And pats people on the back and sends them straight to hell. Because they refuse to deal with the fallen nature of man. And tell them that it's more than an outward form. There has to be an inward life. And the only way that you can change and be pure and be made right with God is because Jesus brought righteousness and He is the Savior and He is God. He is the bread from heaven and He has power over death. He's trying to drive them to their knees by what He's telling them. This is inside of you. Get on your knees. Embrace me. Amen. God is good to us, isn't He? Look what He saved us from. Yes, Lord. The Spirit of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, His blood. His inward work in you gives you the victory over that fallenness that's inside. If you ever reject Him and walk away from Him, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm not a, I don't even have to prophesy this. I don't, even have, I don't even have to be a prophet to tell you. You walk away from Jesus, you reject Him. And everything I just told you about will explode in full bloom. The only thing that keeps us is the inward life of the Spirit. 
and knowing that He's upon me and possesses me for His purpose. That's the only thing that keeps us. You are not only capable of doing it, you are driven to do it. And I pray that churches will start preaching this because you know what happens when they just they preach humanism and make people feel good those people walk out of those churches a lot of them walk out of churches and have affairs and adulteries and all kinds of stuff and I really can't condemn them because it's in me but you know at the same time they need to be helped they need to be showed here's the problem it's inside of us it's not even my environment it's what I let get in me it's what is in me really that answers to that environment I'm telling you the truth you would not recognize me in six months if I, if I walked out if I rejected Jesus like these traditional religionists did if I did that personally you would not recognize me in six months I'm telling you the truth because that's the way it is don't let people blow smoke in your face man I had him call me on the phone and say pastor it's just so hard I just don't just don't feel like going to church anymore and I say what's really going on brother what's the real story tell me the truth pastor it's just so hard and they wouldn't tell me but I found out you know what they're doing smoking dope coming to church smoking dope at the same time come on are you hearing me right now it's in us what's the real story <laughs> come on okay You know, and every once in a while, and I'm, you know, I'm not picking on anybody, man. Would to God the prodigals will come home, man. We love them. We, we want them back. We'll pray for them. We'll, we'll bleed for you. we cry for you. Do you understand? But a lot of them come back and say, why do they preach like that? Why do they talk like that? I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good person. It's not what the Lord said. But for the grace of God, here we are. And even worse, without Jesus. They, they should have went straight to their face. They should have fell before him. They should have said, Wow, you are the, the Lord. You're God. You're the Savior. Save me. I thought I was clean. I thought I was pure. I had the outward going on. I had the formalism going on. I had the tradition going on. I had the denomination going on. But now I see where I really am. Help us, God. I need mercy. I need mercy. I need grace. I need God. I need Him bad. I need Him more than you need Him. I need Him. 
Or are you going to be like these religious people? All smug and form. And act like everything's okay. Or are you going to fall at the feet of Jesus and cry out, Lord, I need you. So you say, oh, I just get so tired of being on my face. It's a crucified life. We are to live a crucified life. And the principle of the cross will create resurrection life in you. If you ever walk away from the principle of the cross, you lose your life. Because the Holy Ghost is always close to the cross. Always close to the cross. Never forget that. You gotta, he always going to nail that flesh to the cross. He's always going to nail that old nature to the cross. He's always going to empty self. I said he's going to empty self. And it's the work of the cross that empties us of that. And the Spirit of the Lord is always close to the cross. Always. So we can never get to a place where I'm just getting tired of always being crucified. I'm just getting tired of this cross. Are you kidding me? That's where the Holy Spirit is. Brother Obed, that's, that's the Spirit of God using the cross to take this stuff out of us. I can't walk away from a crucified life. I've got to take up my cross. I've got to deny myself. I've got to follow Him daily. The crucified life. Boy, I could preach and preach and preach, but I'm going to tell you something. The crucified life is more than just having facts that he died for you. The crucified life is the death, burial, and resurrection in your life, operating in your life. And the spirit, you have to have a negative and a positive have power. A battery has a negative and a positive post. If you don't have, come on, if you just got a positive post, no negative post, there's no power in that battery. You have to have the cross. The work of the cross in your life. The Spirit of God together to have power. So that old song, I'll cling to the old rugged cross. Doesn't mean I just look at what Jesus did for me. It means I understand how that works in my life. It's not easy. No, it's not easy. To live a crucified life when your flesh wants to party down in all of this stuff right here. Is everybody all right out there? See, oh Lord, you can have the outward uponness of Jesus' cross, but not have the inward reality of it. That is the difference between people who really walk with the Lord and people who don't. Is they've got the inward reality of the outward work of the cross in their life. That's powerful. That is powerful. The prophets throughout the whole Bible, and especially in the New Testament, was trying to get people to see the work of the cross and their need why 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 so people would move in the fullness of God's thought into the fullness got a question for you how many glorified people I got out there you got a glorified body right now anybody out there which means salvation isn't completed yet 
Yeah, we're reckoned righteous, but it's not complete yet. And the prophet always calls us to what? The fullness of Christ. That is the purpose and operation of the prophetic word. And Jesus is speaking as a prophet here. He's nailing the sin. Are you hearing this? Are you hearing the voice? Are you hearing the voice? All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's what defiles us. And after he said that, he left. He left. I'm just telling you tonight, if you're religious, you've got tradition, and that's what you're holding on to, and all your focus is is an outward form, you're missing the whole point. There has to be the inward reality of the cross, of his life in us because the cross crucifies that in us and his spirit is his life those two together working together in cooperation is a true biblical faith if you've got the outward the upon and not the inward you've missed it where is the focus today the focus today in a lot of religious circles, whether it be church or the Jewish people or whatever, their focus is externals. Their focus is outward. Their focus is Torah, the letter. So many of them. But <laughs> read Acts, I guess Acts 13. The Bible said they sit in the Sabbath day, constantly in the Sabbath day. And the prophets are read, but they never hear, his, hear the voice. They never hear the voice. They hear that letter over and over and over. And they can quote it. They know it inside and out. They can interpret it. To a point. But they miss the voice. And because of that the Bible says. They did what? Condemned him. And that's exactly what they did in this passage. They condemned him. Because they didn't get down to what it really all meant. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get down to where what does all this mean what does it mean Jesus Jesus he's the only answer this word being preached to us and not just hearing the letter of it what is he really getting what's the point what's he really getting to what is the point behind this It's more than telling you that you can eat pork. And it's more than telling you take care of mom and dad. It's much deeper than that. Those are important. But please don't miss the voice. You and I need God so much more than, than I think we ever realize. 
Amen? Some of you say, well, why did he do that to me? Some of you ladies might be saying, why did he do that to me? Because it was in his heart. In his heart. Hmm, I thought I was the reason. Well, it was in his heart. It was in her heart. It's in mine. It's in yours. Thank God for Jesus. Okay, so in closing, can you see how ridiculous it is just to get religious? <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. You're ridiculous. You're just full of tradition and religion. That's all you got. I don't want religion. I don't want form. Look at your neighbor and say, upon and in. <laughs> That is the work of the Spirit. I love you. Thank you for staying. Anybody know what time it is? It's almost 10 o'clock. I can't believe I've been preaching that long. But anyway, I'm going to let you go home tomorrow's school. Right? You'll go home. You'll stay up till 12 anyway. I love you guys. Y'all are great. In God only. And with God only. But you, you get away from His Spirit. Woo! Heaven help. You know what I'm saying? Did you know that was in you? Did anybody in here know that was in you? Huh? One or two people. <laughs> Made me feel so bad. Make me feel so nasty. <laughs> Hallelujah. Take that flesh to the cross. And let the life of the Spirit control your life. I love you guys. Y'all are dismissed again.